welcome to Inside the Writer's Cafe on webtalkradio.net. I'm Cheryl Nason. Each week on our show, we feature conversations with top authors of fiction and nonfiction about their latest work. Relationships, loss, and life moves on are themes shared by both novels featured on today's show. New York Times best-selling author Jane Green joins us to talk about her latest slice-of-life novel, Promises to Keep, published by Viking. Next, we'll chat with author-comedian Allie Larkin about her funny, poignant novel, Stay, published by Dutton. New York Times and London Times best-selling list author Jane Green was born in London, and she's lived in the United States for the past 10 years. One of the founding writers behind the genre that we popularly call chick lit, Jane writes novels that reflect the lives of real women today, with all of the trials and the tribulations that come with real life, from in-laws to motherhood to midlife crisis to loss. She began her writing career in entertainment, journalism, and public relations. She became a feature writer at the Daily Express in London, She's the winner of a Cosmopolitan Fun Fearless Fiction Award and a contributor to the Chicken Soup for the Soul Power Moms book. Jane joins us today to talk about her latest incredible slice-of-life novel called Promises to Keep. Jane, welcome to Inside the Writer's Cafe. Oh, thank you, Cheryl. It's lovely to be back. Oh, it's so wonderful to talk to you. I love your work, and I always enjoy talking to you so much. And this book is very special. Let's let's give our listeners a little overview of the book, and then let's talk a little bit about its origins. Well, um, the book is, is about two sisters, really. It's about um, Callie, who is in her 40s and married to a wonderful man, two gorgeous children. She lives in Bedford, New York, and loves her life. She just loves her life. And she has this somewhat irresponsible younger sister, Steffi, who who has struggled to find her path, but is, is at a place where she's just about realized what she wants to do with her life. And then out of the blue, Callie gets sick. And it is really about the impact that that has on the people around her. It's about the impact it has not only on her sister, but on her best friend, on her parents who divorced 30 years earlier and haven't been able to be in the same room together for 30 years. And and so it, it's really, um, it's a story about friendship and it's a story about what it means to love someone. And it's also it reflects so many lives. I mean, one of the things that you do so masterfully in all of your novels is really give us glimpses into the lives of characters. But I want to talk about why you wrote this book. And it is a book about loss and the loss of a friend as far as Lila is concerned and a sister as far as Steffi is concerned and a daughter as far as Walter and Honor are concerned. Where did this come from, Jane? Because I know this is a very personal book for you. Well, all of my books are drawn from the themes of my life in some way. They're never my story. They're never about me. 
but but I do always use what's going on in my life in my books. And last year in March, one of my closest friends was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And I made a very conscious decision at the time to stop my life to look after her and to be there for her, to do whatever it took. And, and you know, as a writer, we process things through our writing. And my life had suddenly become hospitals and doctors and chemotherapy. And, and I, I realized very quickly that I needed to write about this. I, it, it was the only way that I could deal with it. And yet, how could I, how could I invade her privacy? How could I even ask permission? And it must have been about two days after thinking these thoughts that that my friend turned to me coming out of hospital, and with a twinkle in her eye, she said, "I hope you're going to write about this." And so I had her blessing. I didn't write about her, and I didn't write her story. There, there were. Um, a couple of parallels, but really, it, it's Callie is very much her own person, um, as are the other characters. But what I wanted to write about Cheryl were, I wanted to write about the lessons that I learned going through this journey with her, and and what I learned was how to be a friend. I learned that love is a verb, and that it is so easy when people get sick to say things like call me if you need anything or I'm here if you need me or they don't even have to be sick we just come out with these platitudes because we're all busy everyone's busy um but actually I learned that that isn't what love is and and loving someone love requires acts of love it is all about the doing love is a verb it is about what you do to show the people you love that you love them and that's really what the book is about and that's a very strong theme that runs through all of the families. We see Callie Perry and her husband, Reese, and you're right, they have these two marvelous children, Eliza and Jack, and we see the really strong relationship that the two of them have. And we watch Callie interact with Steffi, her somewhat wild <laughs> younger <laughs> sister. And as I read this, it's like... I have known these people, and it's like I'm stepping into their lives and watching because it's so, you write it so very well that I feel like I've known them in the past. And Steffi, I really like, she is sort of a, that, that throwback child almost to the 1960s. She's searching for herself, and she's done all kinds of things and, and come upon the idea one of the boyfriends out of the blue started talking to her about cooking because Steffi has this natural ability to cook. And he said, why don't you study to be a chef? And all of a sudden, it's like the proverbial scales fell from her eyes, and she studied to be a chef, and she's this wonderful vegan chef. And I love that because you show her and you talk about the recipes are such a wonderful integral part of the story. I thought this was just a stroke of genius. Oh, because you well, talk about something and the next page there's the recipe part because you've made my mouth water and when I saw that I thought that was just great. Oh, How did you come well, up with that idea? You know, I I'm a huge foodie and I I cook 
a lot. I, I would never um, call myself a chef, but I am a cook. And, and I have cooked since I was teeny tiny, sitting you know, on a stool next to my mother. And, and I, I, nothing, nothing pleases me more. Nothing gives me more gratification and happiness than gathering the people I love together in my home and cooking for them. And, and when you have six children, you realize very quickly that nobody ever invites you anywhere. <laughs> and so you have to cook. I mean, you, so I cook, every weekend I cook for a minimum of around 20 people. And, oh, uh, <laughs> And I cook like I, I think like a caterer, and I cook like a caterer, and I only cook things that are very, very easy, but look as if I've slaved over a hot stove for hours. And I, I love food. And and as I was writing this, and I was writing Sheffy, and I was describing the food that she was making, and they're my recipes. I mean, they're recipes either that I've created or that have come from my family, or or some that you know many that I've just collected over the years. Um, but I started to, to lose myself in these lavish descriptions of food, and I suddenly thought, hang on, I, I could share my recipes with my readers. Why, why not do this? Here I am writing about this wonderful flourless orange cake, um, orange almond cake, and, and I, I have the recipe right here. I could put it in. So I decided to, to, to put in a recipe at the end of every chapter. And uh, and these are real recipes. I'm, I I think often it it can feel a bit gimmicky, but but actually these are the recipes that I cook all the time, um, and I loved being able to share those with my readers. Well, it's a two for one book. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly how I describe it. You get a novel and you get a cookbook. Exactly, and. As I would read through, and I would come to some description about some of the some of the dishes, and I would think, "Oh, I hope." And I'd look to see if this was, <laughs> if this recipe. Once I figured it out, I thought, "Oh, she's giving me all these great recipes and these great ideas." I I think that it was a just a stroke of genius to put these in, and I think that it really, really is a a great idea for the book. I just love that part. It was oh. such a surprise. Oh, good. Well, I'm I'm so pleased. I think people who read my blog know that I'm a, a huge foodie and I cook obsessively. But I think if you didn't know that, you might be a little surprised. Um, but I, I, you know, it, it's part of who I am, and and I really enjoyed sharing that side of myself with readers. I love it. Lila Grossman was also a character that <laughs> I just really enjoyed. Now, Lila is the friend. And Lila is, Callie is the, the slim, beautiful, gorgeous woman that when she walks into a room, people turn. She has that magnetism and that graciousness about herself, and she's very genuine. And so she's one of those people that people turn and look and are drawn to. Lila, on the other hand, is a little Jewish girl who has curly hair. She's a little chubby. She's not the person. When Lila walks into the room, no one does anything. And yet they become fast friends immediately. I love the scene where you talk about their initial meeting at camp when Lila finally gets to go to a sleepover camp and the only bed that's left is the lower bunk in the corner. 
and Callie happens to be in the room when Lila walks in and, and is sort of very unsure of herself. Callie immediately scoops Lila up and takes her under her wing and says, you know, I love the lower bunk. It always makes me feel so cozy. Would you change bunks with me? And, of course, Callie has the bunk, the perfect one, in the middle, on the top. And so they swap, and they were fast friends forever. And we watch as Lila helps Callie go through this this death. I mean, this is a horrible sensation for her to realize that she's about to lose someone who has been she's been so close to for so long, as it is with Steffi, who is this wild child, and we watch this whole experience change these women subtly at first. There's the sadness, but this is not that. It's not a. It's a sad book, but it's also a very happy, celebratory yeah. book. Yeah. You've intertwined the, the emotional um, ups and downs of the novel, I think, very, very well. And I'm sure that's a direct experience of your own when you went through this with your friend Heidi. Well, well, it, it is, and and I think that, um, it, you know, this is very much a book that celebrates life. And certainly with Heidi, there were there were a lot of tears, but there was also a lot of laughter and. And with my characters in the book, with Lila, with Steffi, at the same time as having this tremendous grief at, at someone they love being so ill, there is also tremendous happiness at the other things that are going on in their lives. And, and, and you know, Steffi, who, who lives in New York and has dated a series of, of rather ghastly musicians and actors and <laughs> drug addicts and alcoholics and all kinds of completely unsuitable men finds herself being offered a, a, a house in the country in exchange for dog sitting and 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 finds a, a peace um and and a happiness and of course there is a, a love story for her as well and and the same with lila who has never had a decent relationship who almost got married once in a bid to try and please her parents when she was around 30 and and luckily realized that she was about to make a terrible mistake she was about to marry someone she didn't love and she suddenly finds that she has this this wonderful tall english boyfriend this english journalist boyfriend and so they there is there is so much sadness and so much hope and so much happiness and all intertwined in their stories, and and I would say, it is a book that um, will that requires a box of tissues be kept very close. But it's yes. also a book that that has a lot of levity and laughter and and light. And I love all of the stuff about the bed. The bed is a is a central place all the time. I mean, it had been for um, Callie. It, it is in this story. The family comes in. That everyone jumps into the bed. I mean, it's, it just feels so authentic and so genuine, I believe, because that's the way, and I've never experienced a long-term illness or watched someone except that my mother is an Alzheimer's patient, and so I'm watching a different kind of deterioration. But that long-term illness, there is laughter and there is sadness and there is this whole bucket of emotions. and. Yeah. I think that you really, in the novel, give us that sense 
of what that kind of emotional up and down is like. And it's, I found myself laughing out loud. And then on the next page, there would be a tear or two trickling yeah. down my cheek. So I thought it was just so well-crafted, Jane. Bravo. Oh, thank you, Cheryl. It, it's, you know, it was in many ways one of the hardest books I've ever written because I wrote very, I mean, Heidi, Heidi died in September and I had started writing the book. I was, I was, you know, quite far into the book and then I had to stop as she got um, more and more sick and, and I started again very quickly and my editor was concerned that I was too close, but I knew that, that, that I need to do that. I need to write about things while I'm still feeling them. And, uh, and I, I, you know, it, it was a very painful book. I describe it as a book that was written with an angel at my shoulder. And it was a book that often had, you know, I had tears streaming down my face, but it was also... It was also in many ways the easiest book because I the characters are so real and and that is the thing that isn't based on, on Heidi. I mean the characters just came into their own and I really felt that these were all people that I knew. They were they became friends. Uh, yes, I agree. It, it, for me as well. I mean they they have such a ring of reality about them that for me as well, they became friends. And I have their images in my head. You made me see. All authors don't, but most of the time, because I'm such a visual person, I do see the characters, and I saw every one of them oh. as clearly as if I were watching a motion picture of the book. It's, it's a very interesting thing. People always ask me, do I base my characters on real people? And, and the truth is that sometimes I do. And Lila, for example, is based very much on a friend of mine. But what's always so interesting is that within a couple of pages, they become their own people. Even if you think you're writing about X, the characters take on a life of their own, and they actually become entirely different, and they really do become their own people. You know, it's funny. I had a discussion the other day with someone, and I was trying to... I mean, I've written a little fiction myself, and so I understand exactly what you're saying, but I was trying to explain this idea to someone who is not a writer and who's never experienced this this idea of characters being as real as you and I are to one another. And I don't think I got the point across to them. I, they kept giving me a little strange look. And, you know, it's one of those feelings that you have that they're thinking, get the guys with the white coats to come <laughs> and take her away now. <laughs> because this is so very, it's such a very unique creative experience. And it, it's very hard to talk about because all fiction writers say the same thing. All good fiction writers say the same thing about their characters and the reality of the characters and that a character will not do something that they would not do. Yeah. They're yeah. that real, which I think and, is fascinating. And I, I think what happens is where we draw on real people is is literally a snapshot. Sometimes you need... You need the physicality, the physicality to, to start the creation. So sometimes you use the people you know to think, well, that's what Lila looks like. I can see her. It, and, and that's often how I do it. It may not be someone I know. It may be someone I've seen. Maybe yeah. someone I met at a party. But I will often, I need 
a visual picture of someone to start creating their character. If our listeners are interested in knowing more about this book or your other work or just know more about you in general, let's give them a website where they can find out more about you. It's um, www.janegreen.com. Not terribly complicated. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a delight to talk with you again. Thank you so much for being our guest today on Inside the Writer's Cafe. Oh, Cheryl, it's, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Inside the Writer's Cafe, brought to you on webtalkradio.net. We'd like to encourage you to take a look at our website. We have a blog where we talk about who we're interviewing on the show and what current books we've gotten hold of. We also have a This Week to let you know what shows are up and running this week. You'll see recommended reading lists, and we try to really keep you up on what's going on here inside the Writer's Cafe. Our next guest is Allie Larkin, and she actually grew up in Westchester, New York. She went to St. John's Fisher College, and she has a Bachelor of Arts in Communication and Creative Writing, and we're talking about her very first novel, Stay. Allie, welcome to Inside the Writer's Cafe. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Well, you and I just had a very, very funny thing happen when I started doing this introduction. I was looking for you online. I always do that before I'm going to interview the authors. I go look for their bio, and I couldn't find anything, and I couldn't find anything. And all of a sudden, I found this Allison Larkin who's lived in West Africa and Washington and England, and she's written plays. And I thought, oh, this must be the Allie Larkin. And so I wrote all this big bio stuff down. When we first started doing the introduction, you said, that's not me. <laughs> and there's also another one out there, isn't there? Yes, there's an Ellie Larkin who's a sex addict, and that that's not me. She's written Neither quite a bit of these about two it. women are you. You're the Ellie Larkin who wrote the wonderful Slice of Life novel, Stay. Ellie, this is such a delightful book. Before we really start talking about the characters and the plot, etc., let's give the listeners, just a little bit of an overview of what the novel is about. The tagline they've been using is that stay is about friendship, love, and a German shepherd named Joe, which is fitting. It's exactly what it's about. Um, it's it's about a woman who's heartbroken because her best friend marries a man she's been in love with for years and years, and she has to be the best, uh, the maid of honor at the wedding. And after the wedding, she goes back home and gets a little intoxicated and is watching Rin Tin Tin episodes on television and decides that she desperately needs a German Shepherd and orders one off the Internet from Slovakia. And then the little tiny dog that she's expecting, this little puppy that she thinks she's going to get, turns out to be 100 pounds. A Shetland pony is what she <laughs> Basically, yes. <laughs> I love the whole the characters in this novel are wonderful. You made me laugh out loud. I would be sitting there, I mean the LOL. I would be sitting here all by myself reading. And all of a sudden, since there was no one else in the house, I would just laugh uproariously. And then I'd read another place in the book and it would be quite poignant because your your main character is savannah leone and everybody her friends call her van 
and she's quite an interesting woman. She has been in love with Peter Clark ever since she fell for him, literally, <laughs> when, she, when she walked into a class one day and she tripped and fell literally at Peter's feet and he helped her up and made her feel okay and bought her coffee. And he's this handsome guy that we all can just see in our heads. He reminds me of that character, um, the TNT show, the one where um, Neil, the Neil Caffrey character, that's sort of how I saw Peter in my head he's in that i can't think of the name of the show but i can see him just as clear as i can be and the actor just made me think of peter clark and can you i mean can you imagine this has not happened to you has it to have to watch your best friend janie marry your best friend and secret heartthrob peter and not only that (laughs) be the maid of honor yeah i know i I know she's not real, but I, I was so heartbroken for him oh. in writing all of that because it is such a horrible situation to have to be in. And to she struggles so hard with trying to be a good friend and her own feelings in the situation. And I can't imagine. I'm not in love with any of my friend's husbands. <laughs> and I'm good. quite happy with that. <laughs> it is fiction. Um, I also didn't order my dog off the Internet. Just so yes, you have you know. You have two German Shepherds, and we have to say that on the cover of the book, here is this absolutely delightful dog, and I have to say that he got my attention. And as you read through the book, you realize that the cover is Joe, only Joe is portrayed by your real German Shepherd, Argo. That's a great thing. I love that. <laughs> it's so it's so nice. Argo was absolutely my inspiration for Joe. Um, and our other dog, Stella, ended up in there, too, because Argo's a little too well-behaved to make for an interesting story. <laughs> but it's just wonderful to have him on the cover and to walk into a bookstore and see my book is so exciting, and then to see my dog on my book is even more exciting. And he's just he's been a great friend through the whole process, so it means a lot to me that everyone else can see who he is, too. Well, he's a perfect representation of what <laughs> Joe looks like. And that whole scene where, she, I mean, she gets drunk on Kool-Aid and vodka. <laughs> yes. And she starts watching Rin Tin Tin, and all of a sudden, you know, she's really she's feeling sorry for herself. And, and we have to look at Van because here's her best friend marrying the guy she's been in love with, and her mom's dead. She lost her mom. She's she's lived, her mom has been a single parent, and her mom died of cancer. And so, all of these things sort of contribute to this getting drunk on Kool Aid and vodka, right? Yes, yeah. She's she's kind of in a state in general. She's she's feeling very lost. Uh, she's feeling very conflicted. Her mom was her main confidant, and she's gone. And her mom was really the only person who knew about her feelings for Peter also. So it complicates things. The one person she could talk to about all of this isn't there anymore. And the other people in her life are basically involved in this weird love triangle. (laughs) Exactly. And it sounds like her mom's name is Natalie. And it sounds like that her mom was this wonderful, free-spirited character. She almost sounds like someone who lived through, you know, the 60s because she's they do these crazy wild things and she happens to be the housekeeper for Janie Driscoll's family who is the Janie that Peter is marrying and so 
Van has known Janie literally all of her life. But their relationship's been kind of interesting because Diane and Charles Driscoll are Janie's parents, and they're quite wealthy. Uh, Charles is the one with the money. And so the the Leones live in, quote, the carriage house. And Savannah and her mom have lived there for a long time. And Diane, who is the mom, and Natalie are very, very, very close friends. But there's always that separation a little bit of I've got the money and I'm the boss between the two women. It's not there with the kids until later, but the kids seem to really enjoy one another and become really, really close. Absolutely. I think they're kind of like sisters. I do think there's a weird dynamic that happens because Van's mother was responsible for taking care of Janie, and so there's definitely times where Van felt like Janie stole her mom, and now she's stealing the love of Van's life. And it's complicated. There are feelings for each other. It's it not very complicated. And then you wind all this stuff up about Peter, and then here comes Joe, the Slovakian German shepherd, bounding into her life. And he is, the way you portray him in the book, he is just this wonderful lifesaver of a dog. He truly is sort of a Ren Tin Tin kind of dog, except that he doesn't look like a typical German Shepherd. This Joe is a different kind of German Shepherd. Tell me a little about that. Is Argo this particular kind of German Shepherd? He is. um, Argo's not all black. He has, he's actually on the back cover of the hardcover of my book. Um, Argo has uh, some tan coloring on his legs, and Joe in my head was always all just a solid black German Shepherd. But Argo has a long coat, which is between a long-haired and a short-haired German Shepherd, mm-hmm. and uh, which creates amazing fur balls all over. <laughs> I was about to ask that question because <laughs> how funny because she talks about Van talks about picking up this dog hair. He really sheds like that. It's amazing. The, the joke with German Shepherds—they call them German Shedders. And our other dog, Stella, has a standard coat. She sheds a lot, but Argo, every pair Argo loses is three times as long. Oh, my God. So it's a constant battle with the tumbleweeds of dog hair. But well, it's worth it. We, You know, the thing that I I really liked about part of this was that you create sort of a new life here for Van, and we start feeling better for her because she's got this dog, and and she's really having a great time with him, except that she gets in trouble with the homeowners association, and and a couple of her neighbors are not all that fond of this really big dog, and she's the dog is big enough that he scares people, and yet yeah, still just a puppy, and so he gets in trouble, and she has to take him to a vet, and it's not just any vet. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> It's Dr. Alexander Brandt, the hunky vet, which I thought was wonderful. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that I just thought that was a, a really cool touch, a really neat way to have them meet in, uh, you know, kind of an accident, kind of a happenstance. It, it, it's just one second they didn't know each other and the next second they did, but it wasn't this instant click. It's just that they sort of look at each other and if you were in the room and you were very observant, you might have seen both of their pupils 
dialite as they look at <laughs> each other, you know, because there's there's that attraction. But he's a very very cool character. I really liked him. He's he's so stable and he's so funny and I mean he deals with cats and dogs and animals and and puke and surgery and all those kinds of things. <laughs> and our girl Van is not exactly uh, the Martha Stewart of housekeeping. So no, no, she really isn't. And I think what I love so much about Alex is that he has it in him to love her for who she is, to accept her messiness, you know, and and really see her for who she is. And I think for Van, she's always been trying to be somebody else. She's always fallen short of being Janie. So Alex is is okay with mess, and I think that's a very good thing if you're going to be in love with Van. <laughs> I agree. And, you know, I think one of the other things that I enjoyed so much is that I identified with a lot of the emotions that Van has. She, I mean, she looks at herself in the mirror, and you're right. I mean, Janie is this perfect, angelic individual who, even on her worst days, looks like she could do a spread in Bazaar or Vogue or something. Yeah. And Janie's a real person. And you worry about that five, ten extra pounds. And, and you look at your hair and you think, oh, my gosh. And you look at your face and you go, oh, is this wrinkle there yesterday? Or here's a zit. And you shouldn't be able to have zits. You know, come on, I'm, at, I'm not 15 anymore. <laughs> and those are the kinds of conversations that I hear Van having with herself in her head. And I liked that. It made me identify with her character because she's so very real. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think she struggles with things the same way that anybody else does. And and I think one of the great things when you have those feelings of, oh, the five pounds I can't lose, or, oh, my gosh, I have a zit, you can talk to your best friend about them, hopefully. But it's really hard to talk to your best friend about something like that when she's perfect and those things never happen to her. Exactly. And so, yeah, so I think that puts Stan in kind of a situation where her being normal doesn't feel normal to her, and that's part of her growth in the process is figuring out that she's a normal person and it's okay. Her job also is interesting. You have her be a person who works on grants, and she works... Yes at home and you're an author you don't go to an office to write you work at home i i do things like this i write custom training curriculum i basically work at home except when i have to go to a company and and do something for a client and so that was the other thing about van i think she represents a large group of people who do work at home and it's a very it's it's not like people think. I mean, people no. sit around in you know your bunny slippers and a Hawaiian shirt and don't do anything. It's not like that. You have to really be very disciplined. You have to you have things you have to do. You have to set deadlines for yourself. And it's it's a very interesting situation. And yet, her job is so unclear to so many other people in the novel that they sort of look down on her like she's unemployed almost, and she's not. Yeah. No, she's not. She works very hard, and she works almost constantly. And But Diane talks about her getting a real job at some point. And exactly. <laughs> she does have a real job. And and it is. It's a strange thing to work from home and, and 
do what you're doing and work so hard and then have people think you're not really doing anything all day or you can just drop anything at any moment because you work for yourself. But when you work for yourself, you're still working with other people even though they're not there and you have people to answer to even if you're in charge of you. (laughs) It's true. And I I liked it that you incorporated that kind of idea with that character because I thought that was an important piece of her personality and who she was. And it also made such a big difference for her when Joe came into her life all of a sudden because she was alone in a very universal sense. Right. <laughs> she didn't even have coworkers that she saw every day. So having Joe come into the picture really changes her life. Did you want the readers to take something particular away after they finish this novel? I mean, it's it's fun to read. It's interesting to read. You can hardly put it down. You want to know what's going to happen with these people. Did you want to leave a reader with a particular message, Allie? I think I wanted to do service to all the different ways that we can love the people and and dogs in our life. I wanted to talk about how complicated those feelings are and and really honor friendships in all different forms. And I think that's that's what I'd like. I'd love it if somebody read the book and gave one of their friends a call. <laughs> I would love it if if people really thought about the relationships in their lives and and how sometimes the fact that they're complicated makes them even more durable. And maybe even think about going down to the SPCA and adopting a puppy or a kitty. (laughs) Absolutely. Please do not buy a dog off the Internet while you're drunk. (laughs) Exactly. You never know what's going to come in that crate. It may be a Shetland pony. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Allie Larkin, you are a delight. If our listeners want to know more about you, want to know more about the novel Stay, is there a website that they could go to and find out about you? There is. Uh, My website is AllieLarkinWrites.com, and there's a link to my personal blog and my Twitter account, and I'm I'm all over. (laughs) You are all over, Facebook, Twitter, everything. Well, as long as you, you have the right alley market. <laughs> as long as you have, yeah, make sure that it's not the one that's been the world traveler and the stand-up comic or the sex addict. We don't either exactly. want either one of those. That's not you. <laughs> that's not me. Well, this has been so much fun. I am so oh, glad that you were a guest today. It's just been delightful to meet you. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with me. Oh, thank you so much, Cheryl. This has been fun. And we'd like to thank you, our listeners, for joining us today on Inside the Writer's Cafe here on webtalkradio.net. And until you join us next time, pick up a good book and read.